It's all about people and what God is doing in people's lives and through people's lives. And so would all of you at all of our campuses just put your hands together and tell EG hello this morning at the Church of DuPage. And we're excited about what God is doing in your heart. And I just want to make this observation today, and you resonate with it or you don't, but just figure out if this is a true statement, that every great leader has great imagination. That, that every great inventor and every great creator and every great writer and every great speaker, uh, every great innovator and every great thinker, they all have one thing in common. They see things that others don't see. And, and that's what we mean when we say uh, that they have great imagination. And, and we call that imagination vision vision or, or the ability to see what others don't. And you can illustrate that in every facet of life. In the business world, uh, look, look at maybe one of the richest people on the planet and Bill Gates. Bill Gates said, I see a time and I see a day where every home has a computer in it. And, and the CEO and the brain trust of IBM said, Bill, you're crazy. That will never happen. And, and one man saw what others could not see, and out of that he created a whole new market and a brand new market. And uh, you, you take Christendom, and in the last century, clearly the most influential preacher in the whole world is Billy Graham. And what Billy Graham saw were stadiums, these huge stadiums all over the planet, not just in the United States, but all over the country and all over the world. And he saw in those huge stadiums people that they were filled with people. And he saw those people coming forward, responding to the gospel, giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And he, he could see what others couldn't see, and it was a God-given vision that God had put in him. And at the end of the day, we would all declare today that, that there is no one that has a bigger imagination than God, right? Let, listen what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, now to him, God who is able. I, I love that word in that passage of Scripture because he is able, and, and there is no disability in God. There, there's no disability present with him. He is able. He's able what? He's able to do. To do what? Immeasurably. It means we can't measure how great it would be or how big it is. Immeasurably more. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. How? According to his power, his great power. Where, where is that power? That is at work in us. What an incredible verse of Scripture. I mean, there's so much theology in that verse of Scripture that God's plans are so big and God's plans are so huge and God gives us vision so that we can see what, what he sees. And God gives us something down deep, deep, deep in our spirit to see his vision and to imagine something better. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, there is no person on their own without the Spirit of God, without the Holy Spirit of God that can get that vision, that can get the vision of God in their lives. And over the next several weeks, uh, I want to invite all of you to imagine with us. And, and I want us, you and me, to get our hearts and to get our spiritual eyes in tune with God's heart and in tune with the eyes of God so that we can get a glimpse of what uh, he sees for our future and, and what his vision is for our future. And I want you to imagine for a moment, and, and most of you are going to need to close your eyes in order to do that, but I just want you to imagine for a moment a world that is better than the world you see around you. And I want you to imagine for a moment a, a, a world that is free from strife and free from pain and maybe free from poverty or free from hunger. And I want you to imagine the community that you live in, a community that is broken. Now imagine it restored with God's power. And God restoring that which is broken. And imagine a church, this church, your church, that is perfectly positioned to answer those needs 
in that community. And, and visionaries, listen, visionaries see problems around them, and then they see solutions. And vision is the ability to see what could be better. And it is fueled by the conviction that it should be better. And, but every great leader and every great thinker and every great innovator, they don't just imagine. They take vision and they do something with it. They move, which is why we're calling this series Move. And so this series is not just about you and me imagining or thinking or planning. It is about moving and it is about doing and it is about responding and acting. It's a, honestly about a move of God and us responding to that move of God. Two weeks ago, I sent all of you that we have addresses in our database for a move newsletter. How many of you got that newsletter? And how many of you, leave your hand if you read the newsletter, okay? And so some of you read it. And if you didn't get it, on all of our campuses out in the foyer and out in the lobby at a Hello Desk, we have the, the new Move newsletter so that you can stop and pick one up if you want another one or if your kid threw it away. But hundreds of you, in addition to receiving these newsletters, ha- have attended visions meetings. Uh, hundreds of you have attended these vision meetings in homes or in, in uh, lunches here at the churches or at all of the campuses. And, and over the last month, somehow, if you have slipped through the cracks of all of those attempts to communicate, we are initiating an initiative we're calling MOVE as a church. And the initiative is to address the quantum leap that we believe our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior wants us to take as a faith family. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be unveiling many, many, many exciting details about what that looks like. And for the last several weeks and over the next couple of weeks, our children have been drawing and painting pictures of what they think campus expansion should look like and what campus improvement should look like and where we should put new campuses. I hope you'll stop by and see their roller coasters and, and the things that they're drawing in to each of the places that we go. But, but just as the video said a moment, there, there are three things that, that we have to address. The first one is campus improvement. We need to improve all of our campuses, and we need to address things in the children's area, in the preschool area, in the elementary area. In every campus, the elementary uh, students need more square footage. Here at the Battle Creek campus, they've taken that whole far, uh, what would that be, east, northeast quadrant of this building, but they need to now come south into the southeast quadrant of that building. They need to take over more square footage for first through fifth graders so that we can adequately care for them. I, I want to retheme all of the preschool areas and all of our campuses uh, w- with primary colors other than black. I want us to introduce the fact that we understand children and we understand babies and, and, and we, we're not gothic in, in the way that we approach what we're doing. I, I want us to address uh, the connection part of what we do, signage on the outside of the buildings, on the interior of the buildings, connection points so that we can help people connect. And again, we change the service times so that you could go out of here and have a conversation with a person, a, a man or a woman, at the, the connect areas. I, I've affectionately joked for a long time about I see people every week walking by that path pastor's guest reception, you know, looking in there and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in there behind that closed door and guests walk through there. They don't know if we're sacrificing a bull or, or, or going to ask them to sing a solo or whatever. And, and when you do come in there, I'll just confess to you, I understand. I feel it too. It feels like you're going in there to view a body at a funeral home. And I want to change that. I want to put glass around that. I want to put couches and furniture and fireplaces in there so that you can come in there and have a conversation with another person about what God just did in your heart and about what God is speaking to you. Or you could come in and say, I don't agree with anything he just said. Would somebody teach me? I've got a question about that. That we could sit down and be human beings in community with one another and dialogue and have connection points on all of our campuses. Campus expansion. God has taken us into DePage. We need to find a property and we need to find a building into page so that they can have a place that is their own. Listen, we're doing a phenomenal job at reaching college students into page, but we need to reach young families and we need to reach families who can pay for the page. Because honestly, the page, you're not paying your way. And, and we need you to gather people that, that can pay it, and we need a place for that to happen. And, and we need uh, a place in South Tulsa. God has been opening doors in South Tulsa for five years. We've been looking for campuses. And if you had asked me literally one month ago today, is there a viable real option for a South Tulsa campus, I would have said, we're going to have to go rent something. We're going to have to move into a school. We're going to have to find a facility in a temporary fashion. And and one month later, every single 
week, we get calls about potential properties in South Tulsa. Yesterday, I got another one, and they're saying, hey, I'm the elder at this church, or I'm a deacon at that church, or I'm the pa- I want to talk to you about a property. I want to talk to you about a building. I want to talk to you about a piece of dirt. I want to talk to you about... And in fact, now the options are so numerous, we don't even know how to pray about all of the options of what God is bringing to us in South Tulsa. In Owasso, we have people driving that distance every week into the Midtown campus and into the Battle Creek campus, and we need to go to Owasso. We found a building that, that is 50,000, 50-something thousand square feet on seven and a half, almost eight acres of land on 86th Street North that is valued somewhere between 7.7 and $9.2 million, and we put a contract on it for $2.2 million. God is bringing incredible blessing uh, to our church, and, and we got to go attack those things and do what God is calling us to do. And, and then the third thing is mission. We, we need to continually give outside the walls of our churches and our campuses, and we need to help other churches, and we need to help initiatives. We need to help what God is doing, and we need to support the kingdom of God through the mission endeavors that God is playing. Is God working in T.C. Tulsa? You, I mean, T.C. Cairo, you better believe it. And so if you want more information, we'll update this webpage as we go throughout this series, but it's the church.at forward slash move. And, and you can go to that URL weekly as you pray and as you think about what it is that God is doing uh, in, in our church. And today, we're beginning a brand new series through the book of Nehemiah. And this series we're calling Move. And as we talk about and walk through the vision that God gave Nehemiah, we're going to also talk about the vision that God is giving us as a faith family. And we're going to talk about the vision that God is giving you as a child of God, as an individual. And it is so vital that when you get a vision from God that you move on it and you take the steps that God is calling you to take. And so I want to give you a formula for vision today that relates to both how and where we move. Because when we're talking about vision in this series, here's what I'm talking about. Vision equals imagination plus action. The vision equals imagination uh, plus action. Imagination, listen, imagination can just sit there, right? And action can be without direction. Oftentimes it is. But vision will always move you forward. It will always move you closer to God. It will always move you into what God is doing. And in order to figure this out, we're going to look at this story of this guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if you got your Bible, turn to that book of the Bible, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a visionary. And Nehemiah was a great leader, and Nehemiah was a servant, and Nehemiah was a thinker, and Nehemiah was a doer. And there are lessons in his life, and there are lessons in his book, in the Bible, that are going to guide us as we walk through this uh, series together. And today we'll probably get through chapter 1. And and so let's look at chapter 1 and verse 1 of chapter 1, and let's read together as it says, In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. And let me just show you what's going on here for a second. Who are these people and what is playing out here? Give you a little context. Nehemiah is a Hebrew. He's a Jewish boy. And he is writing during a time when Israel is in captivity, when Israel has been taken into exile. And Artaxerxes is the king of Persia. And he is now in control and in charge of all of these Jewish exiles. And Nehemiah has risen up in that king's royal court to the degree that he's now called a cupbearer in the royal court of King Artaxerxes. And so Nehemiah is a man without a country. He's a Jew in exile. And and, and let's look at what happens as he discusses his homeland and as he hears about it. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and of how things were going in Jerusalem. And, and the context there is that some of the Hebrew people had already returned to Jerusalem. They'd already returned to Judah, to the homeland. And Nehemiah is anxious about it. He is so excited. He, he, is, he wants to hear, how's it going? What, what is happening back in, in the motherland? And what, how is that playing out? And in verse 3, they respond. He said, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace, and the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And and Nehemiah's story, listen, it echoes so much of what is going on in our culture and our world today. And we need that same type of vision for our world today, the vision of God Almighty. And Nehemiah hears that Jerusalem is in 
bad shape, and he imagines something better for it. He imagines something better for his community, and he goes and he sees the burned down and the knocked down walls, and he imagines a rebuilt city, the jewel in the kingdom of God, and, and he is facing incredible, we'll look at this next week, we don't have time to get that far today, but he faces incredible opposition and he faces incredible uh, criticism for doing the thing that God has put in his heart. But he sees the people united and he sees the people strong for the task that is in front of them. And, And my prayer during this series is that God would grant us that imagination, that he would give us that vision, that we as a church family could be filled with vision of how things can be and how things should be, that we would be convicted about that, and that you, each of you, would get a vision for your life, that thing you always wanted to do, that thing that God always, long ago deposited within you, that you would get a vision for your community and to make your world a better place, that you would get a vision for your church and you would find your role in it and your lane for you to run in. But just imagine how things could be and should be is not going to get anything done. We need to follow up vision with action. And we have to move as the people of God. And this series is going to help answer that question. How do I go from just imagining to actually making things happen in my life, in my community, and in my church? And I'm going to give you four things today, and I'm going to make it really easy for you to remember because I've made it spell out the word move. And so you can move with the word move in your heart over the next several days that this could be portable and it could be transferable and it could go with you as you think through this acrostic today with the word move. And the first thing that I want to show you today that if we want to be more than just dreamers is, number one, we have to mourn what went wrong. We have to mourn what went wrong. And you can see before you move, you have to be moved. And you have to see the needs around you. You have to see the empty space that that exists. Nehemiah saw the needs and he mourned. Let's keep reading in in verse 4 together. And let's look at that. As it says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In other words, he was moved to tears. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. In other words, Nehemiah was heartbroken over the condition of the walls of Jerusalem. And he was sad because of his brothers and his fellow Jews were in such bad shape. And he was sad because his community was not at all what it should be or what it could be. But he was moved. He was moved with a vision of how it could be and how it should be better. And seeing the need, listen, it should produce an emotional response in any child of God. In any child of God. That we need that emotional response. And by the way, no matter where you are spiritually in this place today, we're we're all moved when we see those photographs of, of children who are starving with a fly crawling across their face and their belly bloated. We were all moved to tears when we saw that Syrian refugee boy who drowned on the beach there. And that photograph traveled the world. We were all moved by that. And and whether it's new ministries here that would reach out into those kind of arenas, or or it's new campuses, or it's more salvations, or it's people, more and more people being ministered to by the gospel and the ministries of, of our church, all these things that we imagine, listen, they spring out of our compassion. And when we start seeing the needs that are all around us, our emotional response, it should lead us to take action. Our imagination shouldn't be just some good idea. It should cause us to move and to move with action. Imagination without action is just a dream. But imagination with action is vision. And vision brings life to all that it touches and look what he said. As he said, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Listen, when we see how things are and we realize that they're not how they should be, we should be moved and we should mourn because of the brokenness that God puts in our hearts. But it wasn't just the circumstances, by the way, and it wasn't just the situation that Nehemiah mourned. Look at verse 5. And it says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. 
Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. Listen, Nehemiah began with consistent and persistent and continual prayer. And without consistent and persistent uh, prayer life, you can never expect your vision to move. You just can't. And I would just go public today by saying, I am so incredibly grateful for people in our church like Marty Sprague and others who have taken on this prayer mantle. I'm so grateful for the TC Circle that is now over 1,100 men and women that pray every day for our church. And, And every month we send them a prayer list and they pray over that and they pray through that and they pray about the opportunity that God is laying before our feet as a church. Listen, this move vision, which is several years old in my heart, would be nowhere near where it is today apart from the men men and women who consistently and persistently are praying for our church. And I, I want you to look at how Nehemiah prayed and what he prayed for. Let's look at that in verse 6. He said, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. And, and we, we have to mourn our sin. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands and your decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. I've taught you before, and if you've not caught it, I want you to write it down there in your Bible next to that word. That that word confession, the Greek word confession comes from two Greek words, homo, logos. Homo means same, logos means word. Confession is you and I saying the same word or words that God says. In fact, I've found in my life the most credible way for me to confess and to say the same word or words that God says is to say the very word of God. That I confess as a child of God the very word of God. And when I confess my sin, I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not naming it by some other thing. I'm calling it what God calls it. I'm calling it sin. And church, I just want to say to you today, before we can move forward with God, we have to mourn our sin. We have to mourn the past sin in our life. We must confess the sin and call out to God with confession about our sin, walking in the forgiveness that is available to the children of God. And we have to make a fresh, fresh, fresh commitment not to repeat the sins of old. And the first and the biggest and the greatest hang-up for the church of Jesus Christ fulfilling the vision is her own sin is our own sin. And one of the sins that we commit as a, as a church is ignoring the needs that are around us. That when we ignore the needs that God shows us all around us and we don't respond to the needs that are all around us, we've not been doing what God put us here to do as the church and the bride of Christ. And not only do we mourn our sin, we, we mourn mistakes as well. They're different, by the way. Remember, we we mourn what went wrong. That's what Nehemiah said. That sometimes that involves sinful attitude and sometimes that involves sinful actions, but other times it just means mourning failure, right? There there are things that we fail in that it wasn't a sin, right? That if you've ever started businesses, you failed before. I just guarantee you that. You, You have failed before. Chances are you have failed. And the inherent danger in business is failure, right? That's a reality of the world that you and I live in, but the only way to avoid all failure is to avoid ever doing anything. To not move. And if you move, listen, you risk failure. And it means you have to be okay with that risk. It means you have to be okay not only with the risk, you have to be okay with the failure. And then as the children of God, listen, you got to show up in the vulnerability of the failure that you just walked through. That you got to show up and be completely present and completely vulnerable. I think it is incredibly hypocritical for a child of God to ask God to show up and to be fully present when we're not willing to be fully present. But when we show up and become fully present in the vulnerability of the failure that we walk through, in the vulnerability of what hell our children are walking through, in the vulnerability of what divorce looks like and what pain looks like and what all of this looks like, when we show up in that vulnerability and we are fully present as the children of God, then it is unbelievably powerful when we cry out to God Almighty and say, God, would you be fully present in this moment and fully present in this situation and fully present in our church and our community group. But when you fail, Listen, you don't stay in a state of failure. It's the children of God. You can't. Listen, you mourn failure, and then you move on from it. Maxwell says it this way. John Maxwell always said it this way, and I remember it for years and years and years. When you fail, fail forward. Fail forward. And, And it's progress when you do that. And the difference between mourning and wallowing in failure is mourning allows you to move on into new things. Wallowing causes you to stay stuck and in neutral. I have a good friend who started a church at almost the very same time that we started the church at Battle Creek. 
And I met with him and, and prayed with him at, at Panera right up the street, and, and we even helped them as they started that new church. We didn't have two nickels to rub together, and, and they were starting a church right around the corner. And, and he said, uh, you know, how could he help us? I said, we don't have any money. We could pray for you, and we give you some chairs. We got lots of chairs. Some of y'all remember those silver chairs? Some of the, when the old worship center, we'd sit in those plastic, uh, not plastic, metal chairs, and they had that vinyl cushion on top, and it was un freaking believable because every time we sat in that chair as a congregation, we'd psh. <laughs> and we'd stand up and sing a song and psh. And we had closets full of them, and I said, hey, you can have a bunch of chairs. He said, okay, I, I, give me hundreds of chairs. And you know what? His church, listen, it failed, and it didn't last. Like most church plants, the statistics are not good. The church did not make it, and it's not because he was not a good leader. He is a good leader, and it's not because anyone had a moral failing. It just failed for other reasons, but he's, if he had stayed in that state of mourning, he would not be where he is today. Listen, we mourn, but then we move on, and we move on through it. Take a look at what Nehemiah did after mourning uh, what went wrong in verse 8. He said to God, please remember what you told your servant Moses. That's confession, by the way the word of God. He's confessing back to God the very word of God, and he's calling to God's attention. Do you remember God when you said this to Moses? If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. That's exactly what happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and if you live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. That is exactly what is playing out in Nehemiah's day and how this scripture is playing out in historical context. And his good friend Ezra, by the way, there's a relationship between Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra was the priest, and he had already moved back to Jerusalem, and he was already building uh, the temple back, and he was teaching the law in the temple again, and people were already moving from exile back to the promised land. In other words, he sees what's happening, and he's mourning it, but he also looked around and asked, God, what are you doing? God had removed his people, but now he's bringing them back again, and he was keeping his promises, and God was moving, and, and that's what we need to be on the lookout for is how is God moving? That's the second letter. Observe what God is doing. We mourn what went wrong, but then we observe what God is doing. Here's how I say it around here to my staff all the time. Hey, you don't need to create a parade. In fact, I hired very few people talented enough to go create a parade. That is not your job, to create a parade. I need you to find one and get in it. And here's what I mean by that. We say it all the time. I say it in almost monthly in staff meetings. Do not create a parade. Go find the parade and get us in it as a church. And here's what I mean by that. Go find what God is already doing and then join us in that what God is already doing. Listen, you find that and you get in it. I, I tell my kids, my kids love, my boys love to ride boogie boards and skin boards and, and, you know, and they even recent years have started surfing a little bit. And, and here's the thing I tell them. This last year we went to the beach and it was the most beautiful the beach has ever been. In the 30 years I've been going there, the most beautiful I've ever seen it. But the water was as calm. There wasn't any seaweed. But here was the downside to this calm lake-like ocean with no seaweed. There were no waves. And they couldn't ride their boards. And they couldn't do and, and so my boys are at the point where they'll take litter and they'll take seaweed and they'll take a storm in order for there to be a wave. But you and I don't make waves. We just have to be prepared to catch it when it comes. And the glory of surfing is not glorious because it, you may have an incredible event and a great surfing event and no waves show up. And then the next day on Sunday morning, you walk out to the and there's the most great wave that has ever happened as the church of Jesus Christ is, and we don't make waves and we don't make moves of God. We just ready to catch it when God decides to move. And in the hearts and lives of people, if God's moving in the hearts and lives of people in the inner city, we need to go to the inner city and we find a role there and we join him there. If God is moving in the parents' lives, of the kids on your kids' soccer team, then invest in their lives and get to know those parents and make a relationship with them. And don't just sit there and yell or yell at the other you know, team's parents. Build a relationship with the one who is sitting there beside you. Get in and find a way. If God's moving in elementary ministry, which he clearly is moving in elementary ministry in our church, and a, a thousand elementary school kids, first through fifth grade, are finding a way into our church and they're giving their lives to Jesus and their parents are following, you, you go where God is moving. If God is moving, 
moving in Midtown Tulsa at 38th and Lewis, which he is. We can't contain the people at 38th and Lewis any longer. In fact, I would say to you, if you go to Midtown and you attend the 9 or the 11, get your butt out of that service into the 1230 service. And make room for other people at 9 and 11. And join us at 1230 so that you can have seats there at 9 and 11 for people who don't know God who can come in and meet God. If God's moving in South Tulsa, you join him there. If God's moving in Owasso, you join him there. If he's moving in DePage, you join him. If he's moving in Cairo, listen, hundreds of Syrian refugee women every week at TC Cairo showing up. Walking into Egypt with the clothes on their back. Do you think that's a parade? That's a parade. And you get in the parade that God is doing, and what you, once you sense what God is doing, you'll see where God is moving, and then you get involved in that, and you volunteer to be involved in what God is already doing, which is the third piece. Volunteer to be a mover. Surrender to God and say, God, I volunteer to be a mover. I want to see something that, that you're doing, and then I want to volunteer to be a part of that. I want you to see something about this guy, Nehemiah. He didn't ask God to rebuild the walls. He already sensed that God was going to rebuild the walls, and he asked God for an opportunity to be the one to rebuild the wall. You see the difference in that nuance? He, he sensed what God was doing, and he said, God, could I join you in this? Could I be a part of that? Would you use me and include me in what you're doing? He was not sitting back waiting for God to rebuild the walls. He asked God to put him in the game, and he wanted to move. He wanted to be included in that. Listen how he describes those returning to Jerusalem, including himself in verse uh, 10. The people you rescued by your great power and your strong hand are your servants. The power and saying to God, I'm your servant, God. The visionaries, and, and, and they're doers, and, and then they're also movers. And, and those are the ones who say, hey, what needs to be done? Let's get it done. And as we walk through this book of, of the Bible, you're going to see young and old working alongside one another. You're going to see families working alongside one another. You're going to see bosses and employees working alongside one another. Right alongside ordinary folks. And, and you're going to see priests and you're going to see artists all working right alongside rebuilding the wall. And you know what I'm loving more and more and more about our church? In fact, just look around in, in, in your campus. Certainly you look around the Battle Creek campus. It used to be a bunch of fat white people. And now we got CrossFitters, and now we got black people, and now we got Hispanic people, and now we got every color of sin, uh, skin and sin, and, and all that goes with that, right? And now we got people who wear seersucker and bow ties, and we got people who are tatted up, and everywhere in between, right? Rolling up their sleeves and serving God together. Why? Because they volunteered and they said, I want to be a part. Listen, if you see something that's not right in the world and you want to see it change, it is not enough for you to raise your hand and say, hey, that's wrong. You need to raise your hand and say, I'm a servant, God, and, and I will be included in what you are doing here. Show me how I'm to be involved in that and move to see that happen in your life. Let me just give you clarity as it relates to the MOVE campaign today. I'm going to send you this week in the mail a MOVE envelope slash commitment card. And there are two things that I'm going to ask you to bring, all of you to bring, on November the 15th. And if you're forgetful, please write that date down. November the 15th, which is Commitment Sunday in our MOVE initiative. And I'm going to ask you to bring two things in this on that Sunday, November the 15th. The first one is a single offering. And I'm asking you, over and above your normal tithes and offerings, to bring the largest single offering that you, as a single person or a teenager or a family, could possibly bring to God on that day, on November the 15th. Single offering. Number two, the second thing I'm asking you to bring is a commitment that the Lord has laid on your heart that you will give over and above your normal giving and tithing, additional giving, over and above for three years beginning January 1st, 2016. And so you're going to bring a gift, a single gift on that day, and then you're going to bring a commitment over the next three years that you will commit to give over and above as additional giving to your church to help us accomplish the vision that God has laid before us. Listen, once you get involved in what God is doing, it is important for you to see that you are not alone. It's incredibly important. In fact, I would declare to you today, a vision that can be accomplished alone is too small. 
not God-sized. If your vision is small enough that you can do it in your spare time as a hobby, then I would suggest you get a bigger vision. And, and here's the deal. We're not alone in what God is doing. And we've got campuses all over this city, and even one nationally and one internationally, of people who are praying. And listen, I want you to, I just confess to you and let you into my own prayer closet, because I've been praying about this for years. And I've been praying, God, when is the time and when are we to walk through this? Actually, since 2006, I've been praying about this. And God has finally said to me, now is the time. I've been praying over this for nine years. And I believe now is the time for us to walk in. And I just confess to you and confide in you part of the way I'm praying. I'm praying for two things as it relates to the financial side of, of our goals. Number one, that God would bring high-capacity givers. That he would bring those who have high, high, high capacity to give. And it may be somebody who makes a lot of money or it may be somebody who has a lot of resources that, that they could channel into the kingdom of God. I'm praying that God would bring those people. And you know what? I believe with all of my heart uh, that on all of our campuses, in fact, in my heart right now while I'm speaking, I believe with all of my heart on that Midtown campus there are men and women who have never gotten involved financially in what we're doing as a church, that God has brought you here and this is your opportunity and this is your invitation for you to join us in what, is God, what God is doing. And in order for us to accomplish the goals, which I'm going to go over with you in the next few weeks, I, I, we got to have some givers who are given six figures, several of them, over the course of this three years. We need one or two that are given seven figures over the course of what we're doing in the next three years. But I'm going to tell you the second part of my prayer, I'm praying that God would let every single person be involved in this. From the teenager who has no income whatsoever to, to the uh, young professional single adult who is strapped with college debt and can't figure out how to get involved in what God was doing to, to the multimillionaire and everywhere in between that we would all participate in this. Remember I taught you this a few weeks ago. I, I say six or seven figures to some of you and you're like, I don't even make six figures as a family. How on earth? Listen, it, what God puts in your hand is what he expects you to invest. That's the principle. And if you don't have it, you're not supposed to invest it. But if God puts it in your hand, you're supposed to invest it. That's the principle. And, and, and so we're not alone in this. And I, Nehemiah recognized that. In fact, look at the last verse there. Look at verse 11. Oh, Lord, he says, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those. If you write in your Bible, write plural out beside that because those is a plural word. Of us, which is also a plural word, who delight in honoring you, single. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put in his heart to be kind to me. And here's the point, which is the last thing. In order for us to be moved, number four, we need to enlist the help of others. We need to enlist the help of others. Nehemiah enlisted the help of all the others. And by the way, he had a big group to enlist from because there were people who had already gone back to Jerusalem. And, and we're going to study that. They're living among the rubble. And, and we'll, we'll see how big that group of people was. And we'll see how varied that group of people was from all walks of life. But, but he enlisted the help of, of those who were present. And by the way, I, I don't want you to miss this principle. He enlisted the help of those who needed help. Don't miss that. He enlisted the help of those who needed help. And oftentimes we think that those who need help can't help us. And you are wrong. Oftentimes it's the very ones who need us that we need too. And God works it in that way. And, and then he enlisted the help of a very, very unlikely source. Take a look at it again. He said, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me put it in his heart to be kind to me god would you put it in the king's heart to be kind to me the king we gave his name earlier artaxerxes he's the pagan king of persia and whether on his own accord or not he actually helped nehemiah and we're going to look at that next week at how he helped but he was part of the plan and when it comes to your vision listen you need to enlist the help of others. And when it comes to the vision of our corporate church, we need to enlist help. And part of that comes from us enlisting it from God. 
It comes from you and I on our knees praying and asking God for favor. But it also comes from you and I asking all those around us to participate and to be a part of what God is doing. And if God is going to do something in in our community, listen, he wants to include us in it. And if we're going to do something as a church in our community, we can't do this alone. We're going to need schools and families and neighborhoods and mayors and councilmen and policemen, and we're going to need churches and we're going to need organizations. Let's imagine something together that is so big that we have to ask for favor every single day. Let's do something together that is so big that it's going to take lots and lots and lots of people. And I truly and honestly believe that God has a plan for each one of your lives across all of our campuses today. And that's not some cute, simple saying that you put on the wall in your kitchen. That's the truth. I honestly believe that God has a vision for each of your lives. I believe that with all of my heart. And I want you to know that just because God has a plan for your life, it does not mean that that plan automatically happens. It does not mean that you sit back and watch and poof, there it is. That's not how it plays out. In the lives of the believers, it takes action on the part of the children of God. We have to move. And our first part of our move is for us to pray. That's our first part. That was Nehemiah's first move, by the way. He sat down and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And you're going to see this next week in chapter 2. Do not miss chapter 2. It's unbelievable. And, And he prayed for almost a year before he made his next move. Remember back in verse 11, we just read it. This is how he prayed. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. That is serious prayer. That is some down-on-your-knees, praying-to-God prayer. That that is saying, please, God, please, God, please intervene. Please do this. Please hear me on this. And, And sometimes we have to say please, and we have to beg, and we have to plead. And listen, it is not because God doesn't hear us. It is not because he isn't watching. It is not because he doesn't want to. It is for us that you and I have to get to that place where we are truly present, we are truly involved, and we are serious about what we're talking to God about, that we have been moved by something and we are ready for his move in our lives. And before we move, God has to move, and that requires prayer. And before we move, we have to see where it is that God is already moving, moving, and we need to get involved in prayer to God to find out, God, what are you doing? And what do you want us to do? And how would we join you in that? And we need to see what God's doing, doing and joining him in that. In other words, we don't need to say to God, God, I, I just want to think of something I could do for you. Here's what I found out about God. He never takes a subordinate role to me. Never. He never says, oh, that's your vision? Okay, I'll help you with that. He always says to me, no, I'm God, you're not. I'll give the vision and you respond to it and then I will help you with it. And and then we need to see where God is moving and what's, uh, in fact, I just asked you this question. What's the last time that you mourned for what could be and should be in the church? When's the last time that you mourned for what could be and should be in your community? When's the last time you cried out to God about your unsaved neighbor? Or your lost child or that family member or about pain and hurt and despair in the world today? When is the last time you mourned what is going wrong around you? And for some of you, listen, you've never even mourned your own condition. We are broken without God. That is a fact. But God didn't leave us all alone. He made a way for us to come back to him. And it's the same promise in Nehemiah. It's the same promise for us today because really all of the story is about one man and his name is Jesus. 
Nehemiah's whole story is about God coming back and and repairing broken areas. It is about God moving in a miraculous way and, and restoring the people that he loves and cares about. And that's the exact story of Jesus, of him coming back into a broken world and into back into a broken place, for him coming back to earth to save us. And his act of sacrifice on the cross, listen, was so that you could be restored. His body was broken so that your broken life could be pieced back together again. And over the course of this series, listen, we're going to talk about vision. Vision for your life and vision for your community and vision for your church. And we're going to talk about making a plan and putting it into action. I received a note this morning from one of the men in our church who said, Pastor, three years ago you told me that I should pray about a three-year plan. And he said, I hated my job. I owned a very successful business, and I hated my job. And I sat down with God, and I wrote out a three-year plan. And it involved me finishing my junior and senior year of college. And it involved me selling my business. And today, I'm teaching, and I'm coaching, and I'm doing what God made me to do. And it is a great, great success story. We're going to talk about making a plan and putting it into action. We're going to talk about the hurdles that come with that plan. We're going to talk about the roadblocks that the enemy will put in your path. We're going to talk about risk, and we're going to talk about sacrifice. But today, I want us to take that very first step as a faith family, and I want us to pray. I want us to pray about what our next move is, and what, what are you ready to do as a child of God, and what has God already put in you or shown you? And it may be a new business. It may be a new venture. It may be a new ministry. It, it may be a new passion. It may involve moving. It may involve downsizing. It may involve upsizing. It, it just needs to be God showing you what he's doing. And I want us to, to also pray all together for our church as it relates to this quantum leap that he's calling us to. So we're going to join all the campuses together, and we're going to pray for a few minutes. And so here's what I want to ask that you would do on every campus. I'm going to ask that you would stand, and then you would just come to find a place at the altar. So every campus, let's just stand together, and the altars are open for you to come and for us to get on our face before the Lord together and for us to begin this series praying. So go ahead and come now across all of our campuses and let's come to the altar and let's pray and let's talk to God. And I'm going to coach you through this prayer. Uh, Once you're in your place, either at the altar or standing there at your seat, either way, I'm going to coach you through this personal prayer. And I want us to pray at every single campus today and together. you begin praying about your personal calling? And ask God, what is that, God? What is the calling you have on my life? And ask him, what is my next move, God? Would you show me? there some new venture, some new ministry the Lord has laid on your heart? Is there some need around you in, in your neighborhood or in your community that God is calling you to meet? Where you're kneeled or where you're standing, would you just say, God, I want to make myself available to you. I want to make myself available to you, to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine through his great power at work in me. Will you show me your vision? I surrender to your vision, God. Will you show me what it is? Give me eyes to see, and ears to hear, and a mind to know what you have equipped 
what you have prepared and what you have called me to do. Across all of our campuses, I would say to you today, listen, we have to have a first move in order to have a next move, and the first move needs to be toward God. And for some of you on our campuses today, whether you're kneeling or you're standing, your first move is to cross that faith line to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And so right where you're kneeling or right where you're standing, if that's your step today is to give your life to Jesus Christ personally, I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to confess. I want you to say the same words, and I want you to confess to God and call out to God, and I want you to do it out loud. And those around you are going to pray out loud as an encouragement to you, but if you need to give your life to Jesus today, would you just pray and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. Would all of you just pray and say, God, I want to move toward you today. I want to give you all of my life. Will you come in and be Lord over every area of my life? And then I want us to pray corporately together across all of our campuses for our church. Would you pray that we will not move until God tells us to move? And that we would be right in the middle of his timing. Would you pray that we as individuals and we corporately would be great stewards of our finances? That we would invest generously in the mission in our church, in our community, and in our world? Would you pray that TC would prosper in all we do as we move? And would you just pray right where you are, God, would you use me? Would you use me as part of your great vision here at TC? And would you put your vision for my church, for my community, for my world, deep in my heart so that we can move together? Father, we praise you, we adore you. We bow before you and we surrender to you. As we move into this initiative, we know that we cannot do it alone, that we must do it with each other, but we must do it with you. And we must follow you. So together, we all surrender to you, your way, and your vision. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say, Amen and amen. As you stand, would you just thank the Lord today for what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing in our church.